Section 28 of Captain Singleton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. Section 28. We were now in a good place, and in very good circumstances, for we passed for merchants of Persia. It is not material to record here what a mass of ill-gotten wealth we had got together. It will be more to the purpose to tell you that I began to be sensible of the crime of getting of it in such a manner as I had done, that I had very little satisfaction in the possession of it, and, as I told William, I had no expectation of keeping it, nor much desire. But as I said to him one day walking out into the fields near the town of Basora, so I depended upon it that it would be the case, which you will hear presently. We were perfectly secured at Basora by having frighted away the rogues, our comrades, and we had nothing to do but to consider how to convert our treasure into things proper to make us look like merchants, as we were now to be, and not like freebooters, as we really had been. We happened very opportunely here upon a Dutchman, who had travelled from Bengal to Agra, the capital city of the great Mogul, and from thence was come to the coast of Malabar by land and got shipping, somehow or other, up the gulf, and we found his design was to go up the great river to Baghdad, or Babylon, and so, by the caravan, to Aleppo and Skanderoon. As William spoke Dutch, and was of an agreeable, insinuating behavior, he soon got acquainted with this Dutchman, and discovering our circumstances to one another, we found he had considerable effects with him, and that he had traded long in that country, and was making homeward to his own country, and that he had servants with him, one an Armenian, whom he had taught to speak Dutch, and who had something of his own, but had a mind to travel into Europe, and the other a Dutch sailor, whom he had picked up by his fancy, and reposed a great trust in him, and a very honest fellow he was. This Dutchman was very glad of an acquaintance, because he soon found that we directed our thoughts to Europe also, and as he found we were encumbered with goods only, for we let him know nothing of our money, he readily offered us his assistance to dispose of as many of them as the place we were in would put off, and his advice what to do with the rest. While this was doing, William and I consulted what to do with ourselves and what we had, and first we resolved we would never talk seriously of our measures but in the open fields, where we were sure nobody could hear. So every evening, when the sun began to decline and the air to be moderate, we walked out, sometimes this way, sometimes that, to consult of our affairs. I should have observed that we had new-clothed ourselves here, after the Persian manner, with long vests of silk, 
a gown or robe of English crimson cloth, very fine and handsome, and had let our beards grow, so after the Persian manner, that we passed for Persian merchants, in view only, though, by the way, we could not understand or speak one word of the language of Persia, or indeed of any other but English and Dutch, and of the latter I understood very little. However, the Dutchmen supplied all this for us, and as we had resolved to keep ourselves as retired as we could, though there were several English merchants upon the place, yet we never acquainted ourselves with one of them, or exchanged a word with them, by which means we prevented their inquiry of us now, or their giving any intelligence of us, if any news of our landing here should happen to come, which it was easy for us to know, was possible enough, if any of our comrades fell into bad hands, or by many accidents which we could not foresee. It was during my being here, for here we stayed near two months, that I grew very thoughtful about my circumstances, not as to the danger, neither indeed were we in any, but were entirely concealed and unsuspected, but I really began to have other thoughts of myself and of the world than ever I had before. William had struck so deep into my unthinking temper with hinting to me that there was something beyond all this, that the present time was the time of enjoyment, but that the time of account approached, that the work that remained was gentler than the labor past, viz. repentance, and that it was high time to think of it. I say these, and such thoughts as these, engrossed my hours, and, in a word, I grew very sad. As to the wealth I had, which was immensely great, it was all like dirt under my feet. I had no value for it, no peace in the possession of it, no great concern about me for the leaving of it. William had perceived my thoughts to be troubled, and my mind heavy and depressed for some time. And one evening, in one of our cool walks, I began with him about the leaving our effects. William was a wise and wary man, and indeed all the prudentials of my conduct had for a long time been owing to his advice, and so now all the methods for preserving our effects, and even ourselves, lay upon him, and he had been telling me of some of the measures he had been taking for our making homeward and for the security of our wealth, when I took him very short. Why, William, says I, dost thou think we shall ever be able to reach Europe with all this cargo that we have about us? Ay, says William, without doubt, as well as other merchants with theirs, as long as it is not publicly known what quantity or of what value our cargo consists. Why, William, says I, smiling, do you think that if there is a God above, as you have so long been telling me there is, and that we must give an account to him, I say, do you think if he be a righteous judge, he will let us escape thus with the plunder, 
as we may call it, of so many innocent people. Nay, I might say nations, and not call us to an account for it, before we can get to Europe, where we pretend to enjoy it? William appeared struck and surprised at the question, and made no answer for a great while, and I repeated the question, adding that it was not to be expected. After a little pause, says William, thou hast started a very weighty question, and I can make no positive answer to it, but I will state it thus. First, it is true that, if we consider the justice of God, we have no reason to expect any protection. But as the ordinary ways of providence are out of the common road of human affairs, so we may hope for mercy still upon our repentance. And we know not how good he may be to us. So we are to act as if we rather depended upon the last, I mean the merciful part, than claimed the first, which must produce nothing but judgment and vengeance. But hark ye, William, says I, the nature of repentance, as, as you have hinted once to me, included reformation, and we can never reform. How, then, can we repent? Why can we never reform, says William? Because, said I, we cannot restore what we have taken away by rapine and spoil. It is true, says William, we can never do that, for we can never come to the knowledge of the owners. But what then must be done with our wealth, said I, the effects of plunder and rapine? If we keep it, we continue to be robbers and thieves, and if we quit it, we cannot do justice with it, for we cannot restore it to the right owners. Nay, says William, the answer to it is short. To quit what we have, and do it here, is to throw it away to those who have no claim to it, and to divest ourselves of it, but to do no right with it, whereas we ought to keep it carefully together, with a resolution to do what right with it we are able, and who knows what opportunity providence may put into our hands to do justice, at least, to some of those we have injured. So we ought at least to leave it to him and go on. As it is, without doubt, our present business is to go to some place of safety where we may wait his will. The resolution of William was very satisfying to me indeed. The truth is, all he said, and at all times, was solid and good. And had not William thus, as it were, quieted my mind, I think, verily, I was so alarmed at the just reason I had to expect vengeance from heaven upon me for my ill-gotten wealth, that I should have run away from it, as the devil's goods, that I had nothing to do with, that did not belong to me, and that I had no right to keep, and was in danger of being destroyed for. However, 
William settled my mind to more prudent steps than these, and I concluded that I ought, however, to proceed to a place of safety, and leave the event to God Almighty's mercy. But this I must leave upon record, that I had from this time no joy of the wealth I had got. I looked upon it all as stolen, and so indeed the greatest part of it was. I looked upon it as a hoard of other men's goods, which I had robbed the innocent owners of, and which I ought, in a word, to be hanged for here, and damned for hereafter. And now, indeed, I began sincerely to hate myself for a dog, a wretch that had been a thief and a murderer, a wretch that was in a condition which nobody was ever in. For I had robbed, and though I had the wealth by me, yet it was impossible I should ever make any restitution. And upon this account it ran in my head that I could never repent, for that repentance could not be sincere without restitution, and therefore must of necessity be damned. There was no room for me to escape. I went about with my heart full of these thoughts, little better than a distracted fellow, in short, running headlong into the dreadfulest despair, and premeditating nothing but how to rid myself out of the world. And indeed the devil, if such things are of the devil's immediate doing, followed his work very close with me, and nothing lay upon my mind for several days but to shoot myself into the head with my pistol. I was all this while in a vagrant life, among infidels, Turks, pagans, and such sort of people. I had no minister, no Christian to converse with but poor William. He was my ghostly father or confessor, and he was all the comfort I had. As for my knowledge of religion, you have heard my history. You may suppose I had not much, and as for the word of God, I do not remember that I ever read a chapter in the Bible in my lifetime. I was little Bob at Bustleton, and went to school to learn my testament. However, it pleased God to make William the Quaker everything to me. Upon this occasion, I took him out one evening, as usual, and hurried him away into the fields with me, in more haste than ordinary, and there, in short, I told him the perplexity of my mind and under what terrible temptations of the devil I had been, that I must shoot myself, for I could not support the weight and terror that was upon me. Shoot yourself, says William. Why, what will that do for you? Why, says I, it will put an end to a miserable life. Well, says William, are are you satisfied the next will be better? No, no, says I, much worse, to be sure. Why, then, says he, shooting yourself is the devil's motion, no doubt, for it is the devil of a reason, that, because thou art in an ill case, therefore thou must put thyself, 
into a worse. This shocked my reason indeed. Well, but, says I, there is no bearing the miserable condition I am in. Very well, says William, but it seems there is some bearing a worse condition, and so you will shoot yourself, that you may be past remedy. I am past remedy already, says I. How do you know that? says he. I am satisfied of it, said I. Well, says he, but you are not sure. So you will shoot yourself to make it certain. For though on this side death you cannot be sure you will be damned at all, yet the moment you step on the other side of time, you are sure of it. For when it is done, it is not to be said then that you will be, but that you are damned. Well, but, says William, as if he had been between jest and earnest, pray, what didst thou dream of last night? Why, said I, I had frightful dreams all night, and particularly I dreamed that the devil came for me, and asked me what my name was, and I told him. Then he asked me what trade I was. Trade, says I, I am a thief, a rogue by my calling. I am a pirate and a murderer, and ought to be hanged. I, I, says the devil, so you do, and you are the man I looked for, and therefore come along with me at which I was most horribly frightened, and cried out so that it waked me, and I have been in horrible agony ever since. Very well, says William. Come, give me the pistol thou talkst of just now. Why, says I, what will you do with it? Do with it, says William. Why, thou needst not shoot thyself, I shall be obliged to do it for thee. Why, thou wilt destroy us all. What do you mean, William? Mean? said he. Nay, what didst thou mean? To cry out aloud in thy sleep, I am a thief, a pirate, a murderer, and ought to be hanged. Why, thou wilt ruin us all. "'Twas well the Dutchman did not understand English. "'In short, I must shoot thee, to save my own life. "'Come, come,' says he, "'give me thy pistol.' "'I confess, this terrified me again another way, "'and I began to be sensible that, "'if anybody had been near me to understand English, "'I had been undone.' The thought of shooting myself forsook me from that time, and I turned to William. You disorder me extremely, William, said I. Why, I am never safe, nor is it safe to keep me company. What shall I do? I shall betray you all. Come, come, friend Bob, says he. I'll put an end to it all. "'if you will take my advice.' "'How's that?' said I. "'Why, only,' says he, 
that the next time thou talkest with the devil, thou wilt talk a little softlier, or we shall be all undone, and you too. This frighted me, I must confess, and allayed a great deal of the trouble of mind I was in. But William, after he had done jesting with me, entered upon a very long and serious discourse with me about the nature of my circumstances, and about repentance, that it ought to be attended, indeed, with a deep abhorrence of the crime that I had to charge myself with, but that to despair of God's mercy was no part of repentance, but putting myself into the condition of the devil, indeed, that I must apply myself with a sincere, humble confession of my crime, to ask pardon of God, whom I had offended, and cast myself upon his mercy, resolving to be willing to make restitution, if ever it should please God to put it in my power, even to the utmost of what I had in the world. And this, he told me, was the method which he had resolved upon himself, and in this, he told me, he had found comfort. I had a great deal of satisfaction in William's discourse, and it quieted me very much. But William was very anxious ever after about my talking in my sleep, and took care to lie with me always himself, and to keep me from lodging in any house where so much as a word of English was understood. However, there was not the like occasion afterward, for I was much more composed in my mind, and resolved for the future to live a quite different life from what I had done. As to the wealth I had, I looked upon it as nothing. I resolved to set it apart to any such opportunity of doing justice as God should put into my hand and the miraculous opportunity I had afterwards of applying some parts of it to preserve a ruined family, whom I had plundered, may be worth reading, if I have room for it in this account. With these resolutions I began to be restored to some degree of quiet in my mind, and having, after almost three months' stay at Basora, disposed of some goods, but having a great quantity left, we hired boats, according to the Dutchman's direction, and went up to Baghdad, or Babylon, on the river Tigris, or rather Euphrates. We had a very considerable cargo of goods with us, and therefore made a great figure there, and were received with respect. We had, in particular, two and forty bales of Indian stuffs of sundry sorts, silks, muslins, and fine chintz. We had fifteen bales of very fine china silks, and seventy packs or bales of spices, particularly cloves and nutmegs, with other goods. We were bid money here for our cloves, but the Dutchman advised us not to part with them and told us we should get a better price at Aleppo, or in the Levant. So we prepared for the caravan. 
we concealed our having any gold or pearls as much as we could and therefore sold three or four bales of china silks and indian calicoes to raise money to buy camels and to pay the customs which are taken at several places and for our provisions over the deserts i travelled this journey careless to the last degree of my goods or wealth believing that as i came by it all by rapine and violence god would direct that it should be taken from me again in the same manner and indeed i think i might say i was very willing it should be so but as i had a merciful protector above me so i had a most faithful steward counsellor partner or whatever i might call him who was my guide my pilot my governor my everything and took care both of me and of all we had and though he had never been in any of these parts of the world yet he took the care of all upon him and in about nine and fifty days we arrived from basura at the mouth of the river tigris or euphrates through the desert and through aleppo to alexandria or as we call it scandaroon in the levant here william and i and the other two our faithful comrades debated what we should do and here william and i resolved to separate from the other two they resolving to go with the dutchman into holland by the means of some dutch ship which lay then in the road william and i told them we resolved to go and settle in the morea which then belonged to the venetians it is true we acted wisely in it not to let them know whither we went seeing we had resolved to separate but we took our old doctor's directions how to write to him in holland and in england that we might have intelligence from him on occasion and promised to give him an account how to write to us which we afterwards did as may in time be made out we stayed here some time after they were gone till at length not being thoroughly resolved whither to go till then a venetian ship touched at cyprus and put in at scandaroon to look for freight home we took the hint and bargaining for our passage and the freight of our goods we embarked for venice where in two and twenty days we arrived safe with all our treasure and with such a cargo take our goods and our money and our jewels together as i believed was never brought into the city by two single men since the state of venice had a being we kept ourselves here incognito for a great while passing for two armenian merchants still as we had done before and by this time we had gotten so much of the persian and armenian jargon which they talked at basora and baghdad and everywhere that we came in the country as was sufficient to make us able to talk to one another so as not to be understood by anybody though sometimes hardly by ourselves here we converted all our effects into money settled our abode as for a considerable time and william and i 
maintaining an inviolable friendship and fidelity to one another, lived like two brothers. We neither had nor sought any separate interest. We conversed seriously and gravely, and upon the subject of our repentance, continually. We never changed, that is to say, so as to leave off our Armenian garbs, and we were called, at Venice, the two Grecians. I had been two or three times going to give a detail of our wealth, but it will appear incredible, and we had the greatest difficulty in the world how to conceal it, being justly apprehensive, lest we might be assassinated in that country for our treasure. At length, William told me, he began to think now that he must never see England any more, and that, indeed, he did not much concern himself about it. But seeing as we had gained so great wealth, and he had some poor relations and England, if I was willing, he would write to know if they were living, and to know what condition they were in, and if he found such of them were alive, as he had some thoughts about, he would, with my consent, send them something to better their condition. I consented most willingly, and, accordingly, William wrote to a sister and an uncle, and in about five weeks' time received an answer from them both, directed to himself, under cover of a hard Armenian name that he had given himself, viz. Signore Constantine Alexion of Ispahan at Venice. It was a very moving letter he received from his sister, who, after the most passionate expressions of joy, to hear he was alive, seeing she had long ago had an account that he was murdered by the pirates in the West Indies, entreats him to let her know what circumstances he was in, tells him she was not in any capacity to do anything considerable for him, but that he should be welcome to her with all her heart, that she was left a widow with four children, but kept a little shop in the minories, by which she made shift to maintain her family, and that she had sent him five pounds, lest he should want money, in a strange country, to bring him home. I could see the letter brought tears out of his eyes as he read it, and indeed, when he showed it to me, and the little bill for five pounds, upon an English merchant in Venice, it brought tears out of my eyes too. After we had been both affected sufficiently with the tenderness and kindness of this letter, he turns to me, says he, what shall I do for this poor woman? I mused a while. At last, says I, I will tell you what you shall do for her. She has sent you five pounds, and she has four children, and herself, that is five. Such a sum from a poor woman in her circumstances is as much as five thousand pounds is to us. You shall send her a bill of exchange for five thousand pounds English money, and bid her conceal her surprise at it till she hears from you again, but bid her leave off her shop, and go and take a house somewhere in the country, not far off from London, 
and stay there in a moderate figure till she hears from you again. Now, says William, I perceive by it that you have some thoughts of venturing into England. Indeed, William, said I, you mistake me, but it presently occurred to me that you should venture, for what have you done that you may not be seen there? Why should I desire to keep you from your relations, purely to keep me company? William looked very affectionately upon me. Nay, says he, we have embarked together so long, and come together so far, I am resolved I will never part with thee, as long as I live. Go where thou wilt, or stay where thou wilt. And as for my sister, says William, I cannot send her such a sum of money, for whose is all this money we have? It is most of it thine. No, William, said I, there is not a penny of it mine, but what is yours too, and I won't have anything but an equal share with you, and therefore you shall send it to her. If not, I will send it. Why, says William, it will make the poor woman distracted. She will be so surprised, she will go out of her wits. Well, said I, William, you may do it prudently. Send her a bill packed of a hundred pounds, and bid her expect more in a post or two, and that you will send her enough to live on without keeping shop, and then send her more. Accordingly, William sent her a very kind letter, with a bill upon a merchant in London for a hundred and sixty pounds, and bid her comfort herself with the hope that he should be able in a little time to send her more. About ten days later he sent her another bill of five hundred and forty pounds, and, a post or two after, another for three hundred pounds, making in all a thousand pounds, and told her he would send her sufficient to leave off her shop, and directed her to take a house, as above. He waited then till he received an answer to all the three letters, with an account that she had received the money, and, which I did not expect, that she had not let any other acquaintance know that she had received a shilling from anybody, or so much as that he was alive, and would not till she had heard again. When he showed me this letter, Well, William, said I, this woman is fit to be trusted with life, or anything. Send her the rest of the five thousand pounds, and I'll venture to England with you, to this woman's house, whenever you will. In a word, we sent her five thousand pounds in good bills, and she received them very punctually, and, in a little time, sent her brother word that she had pretended to her uncle that she was sickly, and could not carry on the trade any longer, and that she had taken a large house about four miles from London, under pretense of letting lodgings for her livelihood, and, in short, intimated as if she understood that he intended to come over to be incognito, 
assuring him he should be as retired as he pleased. This was opening the very door for us, that we thought had been effectually shut for this life, and, in a word, we resolved to venture, but to keep ourselves entirely concealed, both as to name and every other circumstance. And accordingly William sent his sister word how kindly he took her prudent steps, and that she had guessed right, that he desired to be retired, and that he obliged her not to increase her figure, but live private, till she might perhaps see him. He was going to send the letter away. Come, William, said I, you shan't send her an empty letter. Tell her you have a friend coming with you that must be as retired as yourself, and I'll send her five thousand pounds more. So, in short, we made this poor woman's family rich, and yet when it came to the point, my heart failed me and I durst not venture, and for William he would not stir without me. And so we stayed about two years after this, considering what we should do. You may think, perhaps, that I was very prodigal of my ill-gotten goods, thus to load a stranger with my bounty, and give a gift, like a prince, to one that had been able to merit nothing of me, or indeed know me, but my condition ought to be considered in this case. Though I had money to profusion, yet I was perfectly destitute of a friend in the world, to have the least obligation or assistance from, or knew not either where to dispose or trust anything I had while I lived, or whom to give it to if I died. When I had reflected upon the manner of my getting of it, I was sometimes for giving it all to charitable uses, as a debt due to mankind, though I was no Roman Catholic, and not at all of the opinion that it would purchase me any repose to my soul. But I thought, as it was got by a general plunder, and which I could make no satisfaction for, it was due to the community, and I ought to distribute it for the general good. But still I was at a loss how, and where, and by whom to settle this charity, not daring to go home to my country, lest some of my comrades, strolled home, should see and detect me, and for the very spoil of my money, or the purchase of his own pardon, betray and expose me to an untimely end. Being thus destitute, I say, of a friend, I pitched thus upon William's sister, the kind step of hers to her brother, whom she thought to be in distress, signifying a generous mind and a charitable disposition, and having resolved to make her the object of my first bounty, I did not doubt but I should purchase something of a refuge for myself, and a kind of a centre to which I should tend in my future actions. For really, a man that has a subsistence, and no residence, no place that has a magnetic influence upon his affections, 
is in one of the most odd, uneasy conditions in the world, nor is it in the power of all his money to make it up to him. It was, as I told you, two years and upwards that we remained at Venice, and thereabout, in the greatest hesitation imaginable, irresolute and unfixed to the last degree. William's sister importuned us daily to come to England, and wondered we should not dare to trust her, whom we had, to such a degree, obliged to be faithful, and in a manner lamented her being suspected by us. At last I began to incline, and I said to William, Come, brother William, said I, for ever since our discourse at Basora, I called him brother. If you will agree to two or three things with me, I'll go home to England with all my heart, says William. Let me know what they are. Why, first, says I, you shall not disclose yourself to any of your relations in England but your sister. No, not one. Secondly, we will not shave off our mustachios or beards, for we had all along worn our beards after the Grecian manner, nor leave off our long vests, that we may pass for Grecians and foreigners. Thirdly, that we shall never speak English in public before anybody, your sister excepted. Fourthly, that we will always live together and pass for brothers. William said he would agree to them all, with all his heart, but that the not speaking English would be the hardest, but he would do his best for that too. So, in a word, we agreed to go from Venice to Naples, where we converted a large sum of money into bales of silk, left a large sum in a merchant's hands at Venice, and another considerable sum at Naples, and took bills of exchange for a great deal, too. And yet we came with such a cargo to London, as few American merchants had done for some years, for we loaded in two ships seventy-three bales of thrown silk, besides thirteen bales of wrought silks, from the Duchy of Milan, shipped at Genoa, with all which I arrived safely, and some time after, I married my faithful protectress, William's sister, with whom I am much more happy than I deserve. And now, having so plainly told you that I am come to England, after I have so boldly owned what life I have led abroad, it is time to leave off, and say no more for the present, lest some should be willing to inquire too nicely after your old friend, Captain Bob. End of Section 28 And End of the Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California For LibriVox